Today, I am joined by one of the most interesting startups in the United Kingdom. Her name is Lucy Minton, and she runs Kit Offices. It's difficult to think of a sector that has been disrupted more in the past few years and by the pandemic than office space and what actually a good office space looks like. It has been an incredible journey that Lucy has been on. They've taken some funding recently and are now funded to the tune of seven and a half million US dollars. And today is a conversation about what do we actually mean by the office and what does the future of it look like and how can we use it to benefit workforces much more. This show is made possible by the fantastic support of our various partners. And I wanted to thank the Octopus Group. The Octopus Group is a collection of eight entrepreneurially minded businesses across financial services and energy, all founded on the one simple belief that people and the planet deserve better. They are intent on building a better tomorrow for future generations and are a certified B Corp, demonstrating they care as much about the impact of their investments as the returns they generate. I am proud that Octopus have backed this show since the second series, and they are the reason why we are now able to put such a professional show together. To hear more about what they do, it is worth checking out previous episodes with the founders Chris Hewlett and Simon Rogerson, or the CEO of their investments arm, Ruth Hancock. If you want to see how you can partner with us, go to our website at www.jobsofthefuture.co. Lucy, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Hi, Jimmy. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Now, one of the first questions that we're asking this series is where did your name come from? So where did the name Kit come from? <laughs> um, it was a kind of not hugely inspiring conversation between me and Steve where we kind of chose it because we knew that we wanted to build a business that was really personal so we knew we wanted something that kind of sounded a bit like a name which i think me kit is a name so yeah yeah um we wanted it to be short four letters type thing and so it worked and then there was a very vague rather embarrassing tangential link to a 80s tv show which i can credit my husband with uh where there's a robotic car called k-i-t-t and we kind of felt like it was an interesting combo of the the two things I explained and then also a bit of like tech uh, element, robotic car. But it's kind of embarrassing to look back on now. <laughs> it's good that it's recorded. <laughs> um, uh, but talk us through kind of your March 2020 and tell us mm. about the idea behind the business that you first started and the kind of dramatic evolution that it's been through over the last couple of years. The founding of the business was really embedded in the experience we had when we were running a startup called Just Park. So both of us were kind of early employees. I joined um, kind of the first employee and then Steve was about 10 or 15. For us, we, we received some funding. We were moving offices. It was a really exciting, quite pivotal time for us where we were moving from our a shared space to our own space. And I, for some crazy reason volunteered to kind of lead the project and take charge of the search and and the kind of the process of getting us in and it was just the most painful experience I cannot I cannot reiterate that enough it was 
like nothing else we did as a business. I was completely out of action for three months. And really at every turn within the process, it felt like the whole system was kind of geared against us. And when Steve and I were reflecting on the next step after this experience we'd had at Just Park, we were thinking about kind of what problems we could solve that we faced in our own lives. This We just kept coming back to this because we felt it was, for us, it was like the biggest opportunity for building an amazing culture, an amazing brand, but such hard work and also such a high cost. And it just felt like one of those things that surely had to be better than it was. And yet, in our view, you know, there were a few kind of mini disruptions within the real estate space with, with things like WeWork obviously made a lot of noise and lots of service offices popped up. And I think there has been disruption, but mass market disruption hasn't really taken place yet. And there hasn't really been the thing that pushed it to change. And I think what's so interesting about the time at the moment is our belief is COVID really was that time. It was that huge kind of dynamic shift that will change the way the market operates. And I think for the first time, companies have a real viable option that isn't coming into the office every day. And I think it's going to create really good outcomes as landlords realize they have to provide a slightly different type of service. Maybe not landlords, maybe service providers, maybe platforms like ours. Um, but I think it's going to lead to a really, really good shift in a service, I guess, and, and outcomes for ultimately the customer who, in our view, hasn't had great outcomes really up until this point. I want to ask you about what the future of the office looks like, but I do think it's worth kind of touching on that story of you being the first employee at Just Park, because that really was one of the kind of leaders in the kind of London tech eco space um, in 2014, had one of the biggest crowdfunding raises, uh, yeah. was led by uh, Alex Stepney, who of course has gone on to found Beam, trying to get homeless people into charity. It was one of the first guests on our third series. And so it's it's a useful example, I think, of, of showing how kind of startup innovation leads to more startups and so on. You've kind of spun out and, and done, done your own thing now, which is, which is really inspiring uh, to see. And you can't have imagined uh, just how uh, on the money it would be in terms of the space changing. Um, <laughs> so what... What was your reflections in March 2020? I mean, everyone remembers mm. it in March 2020, but being in the office moving space must have been a challenge. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a challenge. I think, um, I mean, like like I think most other people, we completely underestimated what was going on. I mean, I think most people at that point thought it was all going to be over by June 2020. And then slowly yep. realised that wasn't going to be the case. I, I honestly think March 2020, it was no one really knew what was going on. So I wouldn't necessarily say that was the point in which it hit. I think it hit later when we'd been working from home for a while and it was there was sort of no end in sight. It's not really what you want when you're in an office business, right? Like <laughs> You don't really want people to be told they can't come into work. That's really, really hard. And it was a really, really tough time. You know, I don't think it could have been any tougher in terms of the, the circumstances given to us to try and operate within it's and also because technically you know offices weren't it wasn't reliant on like day-to-day -day income like uh, restaurants where you just didn't get the same support that, that you would have done in those other other industries so like I mean everyone had it tough but it was it was a really really tough time to be you know trying to grow your business, really trying to survive. And we were on a really good trajectory before COVID as well. So there was lots about it that felt really frustrating. 
And I think there was a bit of a tipping point. Um, I think it was probably September 2020. Things started coming back. We started having much bigger businesses come to us and actually say, we don't want to do it the old way. We want to experiment a bit. We want to try something different. We want something a bit smaller and we want to use it in a more dynamic way. And I think that really was a bit of a light bulb moment for for our team and you know our investors and things like that. That we realized, actually, hold on a second, like this has opened up a totally new customer that we didn't think we would be ready for for years. We used to be very focused on uh, scale up startups, people coming out of serviced offices wanting something a bit more them with their own front door. But actually, it had totally changed the perspective of real estate teams and operations people within all types of businesses. And what we're finding now is that actually, fast forward, you know, a year and a half since September 2020, that is very true. Like the majority of our clients are not startups anymore. They're big companies, not necessarily looking for really, really flexible terms. They're looking for more flexibility, but more importantly, they're looking for something most likely a bit smaller, but more importantly, it's working a lot harder for them. They're being much more purpose-driven with the way they use it and they're giving people flexibility, but also optimizing properly when people are together and I think that's a really really good thing what does using it with purpose mean because I think at the moment like a lot of the debate around kind of future of the office is largely centered on people going in right you know the Mm. the government is kind of making it this issue at the moment about you know whether people are in or out and it's it is going to be so different in my view and it's so many more shades of of gray what are you seeing the the most innovative and like you say what's the what's the purpose of the office going to be well, I think I think the most common thing we get from the most forward-thinking founders and leaders we work with is most people in that category are pretty comfortable that people know how to do loan work at home and if you have a task that's really really focused and you just want to get your head down it's actually really good for that for, for, for forward-thinking founders and leaders that's kind of in the bag yeah, And then, then there's like this whole big gray area around things you have to do with other people. And I think that's like a really broad set of tasks and, and things that people do that there are various views on where they are best done. But I think most people think that most things you collaborate on are better in person. And it's just a, a case of a balance between those two things. And and what's also worth saying is that not everybody likes focus work at home. Some people prefer that in the office, but I'd say the the majority of people um, are saying, look, if I'm just sitting at my desk, I'm going to do it at home. So what does it look like then? And I appreciate this is an audio <laughs> podcast, so a bit harder, but but describe to us, because it's been a area for the last you know, 15 to 20 years that has gone through a pretty big change, right? You know, the, mm. big, the big US tech companies the likes of Google and Facebook make their office as appealing as possible, right? It's yeah. a real, um, it's a real draw to go and work at those companies. So what does it look like in the, in the 2020s and what are you repurposing offices to look like? You know, I mean, there's the stereotypes about ping pong tables, you know, sort of slides in the Google office, etc. But what does, what does it look like for the more average firm? So what it looks like really, in our view at least, is it's optimising for those things that you want to do in the office. So what that generally means is collaboration and meetings. So bringing people together in a way that 
generates new ideas and creative thinking, that kind of thing. That's a really big one that people, people do a lot. There's a big focus on learning and development. So particularly with more junior members of the team, with newer members of the team, making sure they have a lot of face time at the beginning of their journey and that they're really supported um, because I think people can feel quite isolated when they're at home and their manager's also at home. Um, and then there's a really big uh, focus on, you know, team building, social, making people feel connected to each other in a way that is more than just a task at hand. And so it's kind of a combination of those things. So what we tend to find as people are kind of designing spaces that can cater to all, all of those things at once. So, you know, you might have an area it can be moved around and it can work as a kind of lunch space when people can eat lunch together and socialize but also it can turn into like a training room so when you get new joiners and you can have them all sitting and looking at a screen and then it might also factor as a collaboration hub where you can have lots of people standing around a whiteboard and a tv and really creating that um interesting environment to throw ideas around and sort of where that magic happens and I think I think importantly it's not just the design though it's like you need some rules around the way that you do things as a business and and this is kind of no different to to any of the other rules you have as a business and I think lots of business leaders are a little bit scared of setting structures that people should work within and there's been lots of narrative around that oh we just trust our people to do their best work wherever they are and it's like I'm not saying I don't trust anyone that works for us but what I am saying is that if you're trying to optimize for something like collaboration or creativity then you need to create the best environment for that to happen. It's not just going to happen with two people in the office and two people on Zoom, because that's not the best environment for creativity to thrive. Um, so I think you need the kind of the physical layout and, and the physical design, but you also need the practical things like on a Wednesday, the whole team gets together because we have our team meeting where we discuss blockages from the week and how we think about ideas to unblock them. You know, it's, it's those physical ways of working that, that make sure that it all functions properly. Because the worst thing in the world that you can have someone who you're trying to bring back to the office is have them commute in, sit on a Zoom call with someone at home all day. And if you don't set those those rules, then that, that's what will happen and nobody will want to come into the office at all. How often are you seeing companies potentially move? I mean, I was struck, uh, you know, sometimes talking to Tom at Monzo, um, mm. when I was in number 10, just, you know, every time that I'd offered to go and see him or whatever, be in a different office. Right. And I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things you, you don't really think about until we kind of have this conversation about, well, that must've been a huge amount of time and energy spent moving all those people around all of the time and yeah. quite, quite disruptive as well for people's commutes, et cetera, as well. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the whole, the whole process of it is extremely long-winded and, and exhausting. And I, I, I think companies, particularly fast growth companies find it really hard to plan ahead. And so they end up committing to one or two years at a time, which is perfectly reasonable because, you know, if you have, if your if your business is very volatile and you have a massive increase in headcount or, or the opposite, you know, there's lots of that going on at the moment, then it is tricky to commit to longer than one to two years. Um, but I would encourage businesses to think a little bit further ahead because you're right, the cost, firstly, you pay for flexibility anyway. And secondly, the cost of relocating everybody and moving and you know redoing the design and all that kind of stuff it does add up but if you can commit to a little bit longer you're gonna get much more benefit from um not having to do that every one or two years which is is pretty common and what do you see as the kind of 
jobs of the future, right? Where are you guys recruiting for and, and what does the makeup of your team look like? We have a, actually a really, really big mix, much bigger than we had at Dust Park because we have the managed side of the business, which is essentially all of the services you get in your space. We can kind of do on demand for you. We have everything from in that we have everything from IT specialists, facility specialists, designers, project managers, you know, all these people who are very amazing experts in their field. But then we also have, you know, the, the typical teams you get in any any business, we've got a tech team, we've got product team, marketing, um, account management, sales, you know, really, really broad mix of people. And I think um, I think from, a, from our industry, the jobs of the future are very much, in, in, in our view, geared around the customer. And I think, I think for me, that's happening in every industry. And actually, real estate is one of the last industries to change. You know, what technology has done has it is, it is reorientated and increased the bar for the customer experience. And, you know, Amazon's the famous one. I'm going to completely fail here on their mission, but it's something like creating the best customer experience in the world or some, something like that. And that's what they've done. They've said, what's the best customer experience? It's getting something next day, whatever it is. And they've like literally just nails that. And I think um, across all categories, that's just what what the tech disruption has created and, and real estate is no difference. And, and our view is actually that something like COVID had to happen in order to shift the kind of high barriers that are, are exist within this industry to, to shift it towards creating a product that is great for the customer. And then more broadly, I think obviously there's a lot of discussion around you know fully remote working and I think that will certainly increase from the point that it was I think it was a really quite quite small minority of businesses were fully remote pre-COVID and I think that definitely will increase my personal view and obviously I'm a little bit biased is that that will still remain a minority it will be a bigger minority but I still think it will remain a minority just because my view is that most businesses do function better with an in-person presence of some kind um, very tech-focused um, firms, I mean, absolutely can function really well fully remote um, and do, and there's a totally different operating system to do that. But, yeah, my, my view is that the majority of businesses will still have a physical presence, which then brings them to sort of set up in a city of some kind. Do you think we'll see it? Because, again, I sort of think we look at this in terms of the moment of change. We look at it in terms of still in the old world order a little bit of you know how many days are people going to be going in a week you see one of the mm. biggest changes that i'm seeing with the startups that we speak to and so on is that actually you know they might only need to get together once every two months but they're going to do three quite intense days in the office then or like you say a off-site location etc mm. do you think that we'll see more of that um than perhaps people are talking about at the moment i, th- I think we'll see more of it I still don't think it will be the majority, um, personally, um, just because I, I do think it lends itself to a particular type of business, which is quite tech focused. You know, this isn't, isn't a new phenomenon. Um, the WordPress founder is the famous example of someone that really charted the course on it. It's like a whole different operating system to, to make fully remote work really, really well. And I think it's, it's lowered the barriers to entry because I think more people believe that it's possible. But I think that most businesses would still prefer to be it have some regular in-person presence. And, and I don't think that will change for the majority of business. But as I said, I do think there will be 
growth in that area for sure. And so tell us about your plans for for Kit. What's the what's the dream? <laughs> Global domination, obviously. <laughs> um so no I think as as I've kind of said I, I we we do believe this is a bit of a tipping point for the industry and we believe we're in a really um good spot to be able to build a business for a slightly different world of work and we're really excited about that and I think the success we're seeing um post-covid proves that to some extent we've got a huge amount of work to do we're you know far from success at this point but I think we're excited about the trajectory we're on and we're excited about the environment we're operating in um and from what we've seen you know that environment is pretty consistent in other markets as well so yeah we're obviously we are going into a an interesting time from a funding and economic perspective um so we'll see how that pans out and how long that lasts but I think on a more medium to long term um, level, yeah, we're we're really excited about the the direction of travel and and what that means for for the product and, and the business. I'd love to hear your reflections on raising money because it's one of the things that we talk about a lot on this podcast. And one of the other key kind of planks that we we have is that we want to be promoting lots of female entrepreneurs. And even back to our second ever episode with Pip Jameson, you know, she. I can't remember now the stats off the top of my head, but the amount of women that had raised more than five million pounds is is microscopic in that uh, in that level. And I just I'd be curious as to your reflections on that and raising money through um, a pandemic as well. How have you found it? It was um, an interesting time to be fundraising, particularly when the office wasn't a very trendy topic. Um, I don't <laughs> know whether you I, we're we're obviously a lot closer to all of the press and all that kind of stuff around the office. But I don't know if you remember, it was it was a deeply unsexy topic in COVID because working from home was this new thing that everyone was really excited by. So, and and the VC world um, does like exciting things. I know this is on record, so I should be careful what I'm saying. Um, but it was it was hard, you know, lots of, lots of investors were looking at the sector saying, oh no, don't really fancy that at the moment because it's a bit uncertain and we're not really sure if people are going to be using offices and no thanks. And um, yeah, it's, you have to hold your nerve, right? You have to really stay true to what you believe and, and wait for hopefully the narrative to shift to closer to what you believe than, than where it was. And, and that was hard and, you know, massive props to my co-founder Steve um, on that because it's, yeah, ha- having having lots of people not really see long-term enough to see the vision when you're in in something like COVID it's it's challenging but you know we got there and I think Hoxton is an amazing investor and we're, we're so lucky to be part of their portfolio and I think what they do and they always have done and this is why they're so successful is is look beyond that and really look for businesses that can be really big and that um, are going to disrupt an industry and I think you know they see through the fact that the offices weren't trendy in 2020 in 2021 <laughs> and towards actually what what this huge dynamic shift could mean for one of the biggest industries in the world and yeah it felt very like-minded and like a good fit when we spoke to them so we were really delighted to get that through so lucy is there a particular piece of content that has inspired you on your journey there is a great book principles by ray dalio is a great book i don't know whether you've read yeah. that 
it looks amazing, which helps, but it's just such a clear layout of principles to guide your life and your work. I found it to be really clear, really sensible and just really quite inspirational that someone had managed to build such a huge business and then distill the way they did it into such a great read. Another great book, actually, which is a series of books that I was recommended by a friend that I've been working through, um, which is more operationally how to kind of work a business. Um, and the book I really liked was The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is Patrick Lencioni. It's kind of written in story style. So it's kind of a made up business that that has all the, this really dysfunctional management team and a new CEO comes in to try and sort them out. And I just think it's it basically boils down to communication and feelings and if you can figure out how to communicate properly and make people feel good (laughs) then you you can get a long way in life and a lot long way in business and I I think that's a great book for anyone more on the operational side of of a business. How have you done that over the last couple of years because we touched on that previous answer about funding and so on yeah you've you've had a challenge of being seen as like like you said, in an unsexy kind of business <laughs> and so on. Like, how do you kind of keep that that motivation going? And how do you keep communicating that to your team as well? Well, do you know what's probably less sexy than offices? Parking. So <laughs> so you're moving up the... Uh, up the- we had great experience. No, to be honest, I think if you bring the right people into the team and you bring the type of people who really buy into what you're doing, then they shouldn't be worried about something not being sexy you know we're just we're not building a business of people that want to be on a hype train (laughs) it's just it's just not who we are and it's not what we're trying to do so I would like to think that we didn't let any of them in the door in the first place but in terms of kind of keeping morale high I think what we found was just being really honest and we didn't we didn't get it right you know I'm sure lots of businesses found that in the early days, communication was really hard and there was a bit of misinterpretation and, you know, everyone, no one knew what was going on in the world. So everyone was a bit on edge anyway. So that that was hard. But I think as, as we moved on, I think people just really appreciated honesty and transparency because they don't expect you to be all seeing and all knowing because it was a totally crazy time and nobody knew what was going on. So as long as you can keep the communication flowing and, and don't, lie as well right it's very easy to be like guys it's all going to be okay because we're going to be out of here in a month and then we're going to grow again and it's going to be great like nobody knew if that was going to be true or not um so in a way keeping people on side is not by trying to make them excited <laughs> it's yeah. right not in not in a moment of crisis at least i think in a moment of crisis it's honesty transparency and, and vulnerability as well i'd say and if you could go back and tell yourself one thing at the start of this journey, what would it be? Just always staying focused on the problem you're trying to solve. Because, you know, you get all of this stuff thrown at you and you're not you're not focused on that problem every second of the day, right? But you need to have a bit of a North Star to guide you because otherwise you will just be so reactive to things that happen and you'll, lo- you'll lose sight of what you're actually trying to build. And it's it's having that ability to look at that North Star and know where you're going, but then dive into the, the day-to-day and actually keep things moving at the same time. And I think if you can do that, then throw a pandemic at you, throw a recession at you, whatever, it doesn't matter. You've got to throw it. Yeah. Well, you must feel pretty resilient with it all, like everything that you've been through Yeah, I think those. so. And, you know, Steve, my co-founder, and I do say that we think COVID probably will end up being the best thing that could have happened to us, um, despite being honestly 
so horrendous when you're in the middle of it. Like looking back, I think it will be a really positive thing that we think has has happened on our journey. I agree. And just one final question. I was very intrigued to see that you got a degree in mathematics. Um, <laughs> and how do you think that kind of... Good stalking. Yes, yeah, stalking, exactly. <laughs> uh, we always do our research. Um, and what gave you the preparation for being very much on the ground floor with these startups. Mm. Yeah, what did what did that teach you doing mathematics? Because it's something that everybody does at school, but it's not it's not a subject that many people go on to study at higher level. I love maths. It's like just puzzles basically. And I think what it teaches you is is discipline and logic. You have to work through these big complex problems to find to find the answer and I think particularly in the really early days of a business what you're trying to do is solve a puzzle, solve a problem. Like the answer isn't binary in the way that it is in, in a math degree. Unfortunately, you don't necessarily know if you've got it right or not. But you ultimately are optimizing all the time for something and trying to work out what the best answer is, given the kind of variables that you have to work with. And I think it it just teaches you that really. It teaches you to work through problems in a methodical way and and push towards the, the best answer. And well, I think that's a fantastic way to finish. Lucy, thanks so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. It's been a pleasure to have you on and we really look forward to seeing how you get on with such an important journey. Thank you so much. Really good to chat. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs. One of the ways that we make this show possible is by the partners that we have that support us. They can be like today's, like the Octopus Group or the Fintech Alliance, but also we've done more consumer-facing brands like Primary Bid and Beer52. You can go to our website and check out more details at www.jobsofthefuture.co. The other way the show is made possible is by me going into organisations and talking about jobs of the future and the talent that is required to fill those jobs, how you retain them, how you attract them, and how great teams are built that can achieve superb things that we hear about on this show if you want to know more on that drop us a line at hello at jobsofthefuture.co we always love hearing from our listeners 